0: Emily Morgan was 23 years old and a member of the Choctaw Nation when she was murdered in August 2016 in Botch, Oklahoma. There are no persons of interest, there are no prime suspects, and her case has grown cold. This is the story of Emily Morgan.
1: Hey guys, this is Ash. This is Shiashi.
2: This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. I'm I'm exceptionally tired today, guys. You know, i seen
0: this headline that was talking about the Uvalde shooter and that how he was uh, apparently isolated and bullied in high school. I don't know why we get stuff like that. I guess maybe just to say this is what bullying can lead to. But at the same time, people have lived really tough lives without going and murdering innocent people.
2: Well, you know what? Well, I found surprising. Was, I forget which news station it was. I think it was CNN reported that um, out of all the mass shooters in the past decade, all of them had convicted or had committed a crime against a woman or violence against a woman. Like in this situation, he killed his grandmother before going. Oh, my gosh.
0: Because it's usually something before they go to the actual mass shooting. What I really am glad that a lot of news stations are doing is they're really highlighting
2: these kids. Well, they're highlighting the victims. That's what they started doing after Columbine because they had so many copycats. People were trying to get that notoriety of being, for whatever reason, you know, infamous.
1: Yeah. And it's just hard to watch and see these headlines every day because they are just children. It's so heartbreaking and so sad just to see and hear those stories. And apparently there's like, And I don't really know, just from watching the news, there's so many delays from the police. What
2: was it, like an hour before they could even get into the classroom or something like that? 78 minutes. But there were 19 officers standing in the hallway because they thought that there were no kids alive in the room. And they didn't didn't break the door down because they thought it was a barricaded subject. Which, honestly, I don't know that I can be too critical because I don't know what the hell I would do. Like, I don't know what decision I would make either. Like, do you get the... Kids out in the other classroom. Like I don't know. It. I can't be too critical because I really don't know.
1: Well, I read an article this morning, and I don't know how relevant and credible it is. But this guy, whose wife was a teacher, daughter was at the school, and he was a. I think he said border control agent. Um, was getting a haircut. His wife texted him. He went straight to the school, got his wife and daughter out. Went in, busted down the door, and shot the shooter.
2: Then there's stories that's like, you know, they waited until the tactical team got there. But you know, what's what's crazy is like, what's been really eye opening for me is how the media affects how these investigations are being um like how much attention is going into them. Because I think without the media and got, you know, I, it's a terrible, terrible thing, first of all, that that many people died, and that it was primarily children. But I think that the media having such an involvement is helping make sure that justice is served in this situation. So it just goes to show how powerful the media can be because, you know, they're pushing and all these interviews, like every time that the police chief or whatever he is goes on for an interview, they're like pushing him for answers.
0: You know, how many of these mass shootings are going to take till we have some kind of policy change and reform? I mean, it's it's too much. It was too much the very first one. There should have been change then.
2: But I mean, it's kind of relevant to what we talk about now. You know, like it's time after time after time of the same thing and nothing changes. And then we're just left reporting mm-hmm. on these stories. It becomes, you know, we're not being proactive in any way as a, you know, a country. We're just watching it happen and then reacting.
1: Right. And, you know, I remember being in school when I was little. Elementary school, and we had fire drills, and I think we had a tornado drill. When I got to high school, we had bomb threat. Drills and because people would call in bomb threats in high school, we had one or two active shooter drills.
2: Well, it's sad too that our kids that's like that's normal for them. One of those kids on the news was like, I know it's going to happen again, and he survived the shooting.
0: Well, and to think about the pressure that puts on teachers because they're trying to make sure that all these kids are safe, and I just can't imagine the level of responsibility.
1: There's a lot of pressure on teachers, and they don't get paid enough. And you know, just in our area. This year, I think every school has went into lockdown or canceled school because of a threat.
2: I know my school, my kids' school, went into lockdown twice this year. And one was like a credible threat or what they thought was. So going into today's case,
0: it does deal with gun violence. I guess we're just kind of staying on topic at this point. Today, I really wanted to talk about this story. There's not a whole lot of information out there. Um, it's still unsolved. And it's about the murder of 23-year-old Emily Morgan. She was a member of the Choctaw Nation. And this is a case that took place in Oklahoma almost five years ago. I went through a lot of cases this week, just looking at different stories for mini episodes and stuff that we can cover. And um, I mentioned it in the last mini, a lot of the cases have, you know, cases grown cold, unsolved, or... Missing and they were never heard from again. It's, it's a lot. It was a lot to, uh, that I went through this week just in research, but I did pick this case because like Brittany Tiger and Misty Upham and other cases we've covered, Emily had struggles. And you know, from doing our research, we know that when people have struggles in life and maybe aren't, aren't making like the best decisions at the time, it's easy for people to point fingers and place blame on them for what happened to them. So uh, that's why I was really pulled into this story, too.
2: I don't understand the point of pointing fingers and placing blame on people. Or just making it seem like because they had those struggles that it didn't matter that they died,
0: you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, Like their loss wasn't that big of a loss.
2: Honestly, like any one of us could have a bad day, a mental health break, something and end up in the same place. It could be any of us. And we still deserve the same justice as anyone who doesn't struggle.
0: Yeah. Well, and from what I read, she became a mom as a teenager and she was struggling to make money to support herself and her son uh, after her son's father went to prison. But she was described as someone who was very loved. She had dreams and she was really devoted to taking care of her son. Uh, they said she was a competitive athlete in high school and her mother, Kim, described her as someone who never settled for second best. In the struggle with her making money and trying to support her son, um, it did lead to some poor decisions. And from the way I read it, it was decisions that she must have felt like at the time was necessary to survive and to support her kids or her kid. Sorry, Emily uh, had started delivering drugs for a local dealer and eventually that relationship became a sexual one. I read in a report from Indian Country today that the longer she was involved with the dealer, the more control he had over her life. When the dealer was not happy with her, her phone would be shut off and her bills could not be paid. And it also stated that Emily was not someone that could be controlled very easily. So you can imagine it made the re- relationship a lot more volatile. It just it it just sounds to me just well one it's a bad situation all around, but two I just I hate that the way things are set up that, you know, when people are trying to take care of their kid or struggling to take care of their kid, there's not more resources and things like that for them, you know, just childcare alone is crazy expensive, especially for someone who became a mother as a teenager. I mean, I I don't know. I just, uh, to me, it seems like she was somebody who was, who was smart, who was very kind and she had dreams to do things, but because she was a mother early on, it made things more difficult for her.
2: And, you know, she did what she had to do to take care of her son. Have you guys seen the series
1: called Maid on Netflix? I think I started watching it. Did she leave an abusive relationship?
2: Yeah, so it's very similar. And it really like is a, a good portrayal of kind of navigating the systems in the United States for assistance. And that's a good point you're bringing up, Shiashi, because it really highlighted how even though she was jobless and homeless after after leaving her violent partner, she still did not meet the minimum criteria to get on welfare or food stamps or have any governmental assistance, which is crazy to think about. If you're homeless and jobless, you know, like what what other criteria would you need to meet? But it's that hard to be eligible for a lot of those services. So it's really like you're, you start a losing battle as soon as you walk out the door.
0: And then that goes back to the point of people pointing fingers and placing blame. But at this point, it sounds like she didn't really have too many other options. She needed to support her son and she did what she could to to support her
2: son. And sometimes staying in a violent situation is a survival mode. You know, it's either endure a little bit of domestic violence or a lot of domestic violence in order to take care of your children. And that's what people don't understand either. It's not always an easy decision, especially when there's children involved. Well,
0: on the morning of August 26, 2016, Emily's car was found in the driveway of an abandoned home. The house sits just off Highway 270 in Botch, Oklahoma, which is just outside of McAllen. Now, Emily's mother, Kim, learned that her daughter, Emily, and Emily's friend, Tanika Elix, uh, people called her Ty, um, had both been shot in the head. What is known is that Emily was supposed to meet with the dealer the night before. So around 1130 a.m. in the morning on August 26, 2016, the owner of the home noticed a car in the driveway with two people inside. The temperature was in the mid 80s. However, the windows were up and the car was not running. Now, the person that noticed the car was the son of the elderly former owners of the home. Um so he called police when he approached the vehicle and found that there was blood in the car, but he also noted that Emily appeared to be asleep. He didn't say anything about Ty. So when the police arrived, they searched the abandoned house for a possible killer. There was no sign of a killer and no murder weapon was located in the house or in the car, which I can't imagine having to walk up on, on something like that and seeing that kind of sight when you just think it's a, an abandoned car in a driveway. Yeah, for sure. That's scary. So I wanted to mention a little bit about Ty Elix because even though this is MMIW, she was part of this case and she still matters. Um And she was a mother to a son and a daughter. And she was 24 years old at the time. And she was living with her children's father, who was her high school sweetheart. And she was enrolled in nursing school. She was remembered as someone who was a class clown. Uh She was a homebody. And she had apparently met Emily only five months before their murders. You know, isn't that interesting? Just how, like, by chance of meeting someone can, like, shift the direction or path or whatever's going to happen in your life in different ways. You know, she met this yeah. person. I don't know how they met. It'd be interesting to know how she got involved for her to be a homebody and be...
2: And you said she was a nurse in school? hmm She was enrolled in nursing school. I mean, I have friends who have friends from all different walks of lives. Maybe they were like, if they were the same age, maybe they were like high school friends or something.
0: Well, it said that she only met Emily five months before they were murdered.
2: So Hmm.
0: I don't know the circumstances of that. But sometimes you just meet somebody and it just clicks and you're instantly friends. Could have very well been the situation here. So investigators have little leads in the murders, but they know that the women... Uh, were last seen at McDonald's about six miles away from where they were found around 11 PM the night before. And that's the last time they were known to have been alive. And there were no indications. It was a crime of opportunity. Now I couldn't find any information that said who the local dealer was that she was involved with. I went through numerous articles and I didn't see any names. So I don't know who this person is. Um, to be able to share that with you guys. The Pittsburgh County Sheriff, Chris Morris, said at the time that someone had to know the area, know this house because it had been vacant for years. And when I read that, it made me immediately think of Marie walking Stick because we mentioned that the area where she was found and the car was set on fire, it's in an isolated area that somebody, I would think somebody outside the community wouldn't know to go there. You know what I mean? Like,
2: so it was just an abandoned house?
0: Yeah. Apparently it's been, the house had been vacant for years. The sheriff felt like somebody had to know the area to know that this house is vacant to leave this car there and nobody would see. So I, I immediately thought of Marie cause I was like, you know, we talked about that and we talked about the area where it's way up there and it's very isolated um in the community that uh, Marie was found in. There's just always similarities in a lot of these cases that really, it always ties back to another case and makes me think of another case that we've covered. But the sheriff also believes that the killer may have known at least one of the victims, which I would assume so if it was known that she was supposed to meet a dealer. How it was known that she was supposed to meet a dealer, I don't know. And that wasn't reported on either. There's a lot of details in this case that um just aren't available. Maybe it's just something that like the sheriff's office is just kind of keeping close to the chest uh, at this point this happened in 2016 you got to let look at me talking like I'm an investigator a police officer <laughs> and I know
2: well it's like the same thing like you said with Marie's case like they even potentially have someone or the family has someone who they have suspected for years and years you know
0: it's like at some point you got to start how 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 long do you hold stuff trying to find the killer at, at this point it's gone cold there's no, nothing happening? At what point do you start like kind of letting information out to try and help people identify it? I don't know how that works, but it just seems after years and years and years, you'd want to have some traction or be like, okay, maybe we could release this detail and see if that jogs anybody's memory. I don't know. We really need to go to detective school. (laughs) (laughs) But the sheriff also said he didn't think it was random. He says, I think it was an intended killing and that they came to that house specifically for that reason. I don't know. So maybe a deal was happening at that house since it was vacant
2: and they were shot. And well, did they question the dealer?
0: It didn't say. It, that There was no information on the dealer.
2: But someone obviously know who's that is, who that is, right?
0: I would imagine so. From what I read, there's been very few leads in the case. And from my understanding, there is no person of interest or suspect that has officially been named. Even if it, you know, even if she had this kind of volatile relationship with this dealer, it doesn't sound like he's officially a suspect or a person of interest. And so when I was reading, it also sounded like Emily kind of knew the risks of what she was involved in because her mother Kim reported that Emily told her son the last time she saw him that, quote, if anything happens to me, your Grammy will take care of you. I don't know what was going on, but it sounds like Emily was aware of the risk
2: of, you know, what she was doing, which, or maybe she was being threatened. I mean, that seems really ominous. Uh, yeah. Especially
1: right before maybe that's, maybe that's why she took her friend with her. Oh, to make sure. She had money with her. What was her, dom- what was her
2: domestic life? Like, did they specify like any, anything about any significant others? For Emily? Yeah. Or even the other girl.
0: The father of Emily's child was in prison and Emily was in uh, a sexual relationship with a local dealer. And that's all that I've read. And Ty mm-hmm. uh, was living with her children's father who they were high school sweethearts. Anybody outside that scope was not reported on. Kim has been working really hard to make sure that Emily and Ty's story doesn't go cold. And she was inspired to put up a billboard regarding her daughter's murder after seeing the movie Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri.
2: Have you guys heard of that movie or seen it? Heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but I've heard it's really good. And it was filmed here, right?
0: I think part of it was. looking at Silva Yeah. Yeah. And it's, a, it's about a mother who put, has signs put up questioning why no arrests have been made in the murder of her daughter following a seven-month time period. Kim was inspired by this movie, and she eventually um, got the funding to put a billboard up that features photos of Emily and Ty. And I can only imagine what she had to do to get the funding because billboards are not cheap. So the billboard has photos of Emily and Ty and the words, We were murdered less than seven miles east of here on August 26, 2016, and it also has the hashtag uh be her voice. It also says there is a ruthless killer in your community. Honestly, we need something like that in, in here
2: for uh Marie I mean, I don't know that the person that did it will feel guilty enough to turn themselves in, but, you know, maybe someone else will.
1: Yeah, and I feel like at this point it would have to be a confession because I'm sure the cops have already went through all the evidence, if there's any evidence left, from the burnt car. And now they just need a confession. So I'm sure that at this point that's all that can lead to an arrest in her case.
0: In 2020, Indian Country Today reported that Emily's mother, Kim, discovered that some of the neighbors of the property around where Emily had been found were not interviewed. And she found this out after the Oklahoma missing and murdered support group assisted in hiring a private investigator. So the report said up to that point, she was really um, feeling like the police were doing everything possible. And this just kind of threw threw her for a loop because to find out that there have been neighbors or people, I guess, maybe in surrounding houses where this vacant house was had not even been interviewed at that, you know, by 2020. Sounds like a a pretty
2: significant fail. Yeah, for sure. I mean, two gunshots within the range of a house. Like, yeah. How would they even know like what time or anything if they didn't interview people?
0: You know, it goes back to these families and why there's groups like Oklahoma Missing and Murder Support Group that are having to hire these private investigators to help assist or help get, gather more information. There's all this extra work being done by the families.
1: Yeah. And that's in all the stories. <clears throat> it's the families who are having to push and make moves. And I mean, that's a common theme in all our stories. So in in
0: 2021, Kim had received a call saying that Emily's case uh, was moved to the cold case team. And the same article in Indian Country Today said that Kim was overwhelmed with guilt and that she had felt she let Emily down because she didn't push hard enough and blamed herself for allowing people to forget about Emily. So I'm going to end this with a quote from Kim that says, We can take this horrible mess and make it into a message. And Emily's spirit gets to live on then. And that's all I got. Isn't that sad? That's all the information I went through. Like just to get this information, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sources, but they all say the same right. information. Like different ones have different bits. Like one says the owner of the home noticed a car. And then another article says, Well, the owner was the son of elderly for- you know, like it's like just really tiny little details. That's the, like, the only change. But other than that, the information is basically the same.
2: Well, it seems like since maybe the information out there is that they were going to meet a dealer that people probably just didn't care.
0: Which is a shame because, you know, when you get into like the facts of it, Emily was just doing what she could to support herself and her son.
2: Her friend could have just been an innocent bystander, you know, like have yeah. no involvement.
0: I, and that's why I wanted to really kind of, well, we need to highlight a lot of all these cases. This one just really made me think about Brittany Tiger and it, especially about Misty Upham and how people just didn't take their cases very serious. And they pointed at a lot of fingers and placed a lot of blame. And I just hate that. And I, you know, and anybody, yeah. you know, any, anybody that has a kid can understand you want to do everything possible to support your children. And if you don't have the resources or the support, how are we going to judge what someone's going to try and do to make sure their kid is taken care of? The Oklahoma Bureau of Investigations is now offering a $10,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in Emily's case. If you have any information, you are asked to call 1-800-522-8017. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.